Well, every day lately, it's the same question. Is confidence higher or lower? Are we worried about a recession or feeling happy about a soft landing? And all we can say is, well, it's complicated. Events keep shifting. Data is confusing. And now this week, we are at the end of Q2. So there's a fair bit of rebalancing going on, too. And to add to it all, quite a bit of geopolitics as well. And we know where that's coming from. So that's today. Uncertainty and confusion. But let's see if we can make sense out of it all. It's Tuesday, the 28th of June, 2022. It's the morning call for from NAB. Good morning. Well, the US dollar fell a little further overnight, down below 104 on the DXY. That's another 0.2% fall, with a 0.3% rise in the euro. But we've also seen more weakness in the Aussie dollar. It's down against the falling US dollar. The Aussie losing uh, 0.3% to 69.2 US cents now. Uh, and look, you know, if we work on the basis that the Aussie often tracks the path of US equities, well, they are down. The S&P 500 down by 0.4%. The Nasdaq losing 0.7% at close. The Dow 0.2% lower. Uh, Boeing is down more than one and a quarter percent now, actually more than that earlier, because the US Congress is now wanting to audit, reportedly, the production of the 737 MAX after a TV report showing safety problems continue, even after the plane was recertified. So their troubles haven't gone away. In Europe, though, equities are higher. And not, I haven't looked at Airbus. That's probably up a 0.7% rise in the FTSE 100. Half a percent for the DAX, 0.2% for the Eurostox 50. But the CAC Caron down 0.4%. Bond yields are generally higher. 10-year treasuries up six basis points to just below 3.2%. Two years up almost as much. And an 11 basis point rise for German and French 10 years. And much of the rest of Europe around that sort of level as well. Nine basis points up for 10-year gilts in the UK. Locally, Aussie 10 years are up five basis points to 3.77. Well, Aussie, uh, well, New Zealand, I should say, 10 years are down 10 basis points to 3.87%. And moves up in oil. WTI is up 2% higher this morning. Brent up 1.9%. It's over $115 a barrel now. So let's try and make sense of today's moves with uh, Nabs Rodrigo Catrill in Sydney. Very mixed today. Oil up, bond yields up, equities oscillating, but generally down. But we are near the end of a quarter, so there's a a bit of rebalancing obviously going on. And maybe that's, you know, what what we're seeing today in amongst all this confusion, which is sort of kind of reassuring, Rodrigo, because the macroeconomic picture perhaps taking a bit of a a back seat while this rebalancing happens. It's it's almost like old times, Rodrigo. (laughs) Yes, morning, Phil. So so I suppose that the the month-end rebalancing is certainly a bigger deal this time around, uh, if we bear in mind the fact that, you know, we look at the um, a quarter to date performance of the S&P 500, for instance, is down close to 14%. The Nasdaq down to almost 19%. So this, this plays to the view that there will be a lot of, you know, buyers into the equity market to rebalance the portfolios. Um, um, and that's kind of mix, kind of giving you a mixed signal, if you like. And, and to some, many have suggested maybe that rebalancing started to occur earlier late last week. Uh, and that played into into the that sort of art performance that we saw the, of the equity market in particular. So that's that is one story. The other story is, of course, that we got to remember this is summertime in 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 Europe and the US. We had those auctions coming in 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 Europe and um, and as well as the US. Uh, and there's there's been a lack of demand appetite to to buy those bonds. So that's played into that move up in yields, which of course came on the back of those those big move lowers that we we saw last week. So there's a lot of sort of factors um, obscuring the, the, what is actually going on here. Uh, but in terms of the the equity market itself, um, I think we 
you know, we're still in this sort of uncertain period where we need to know whether the Fed is really going to be able to contain inflation. And, and while that uncertainty remains, it, it plays to the view that the equity market will remain a bit choppy. Um, in, including in that is, is the, the slowdown that we're seeing in Europe and the, in the US, and that plays into the risk that we might see some earnings revisions as well. So um, I think that we're not out of the woods by any means. I think that this idea of uncertainty will will play out in market in markets for at least a couple of months. Yeah, well, we're seeing, you know, we've got news that's going to just add to that uncertainty. But the Aussie dollar down, I guess that again is that, you know, despite the fact, you know, we've got this optimism uh, that perhaps we were going to see more of China opening up, but the Aussie down because of this uncertainty, I guess. And, and there's still this uncertainty around Russia uh, bubbling in the background, not only from the measures of sanctions that, uh, or, you know, restrictions that Europe is trying to, uh, Europe and allies are trying to sort out uh, this week in terms of oil, uh, but then now we have Russia, of course, attacking Kiev, which, you know, it's an escalation yeah. in terms of, of those tensions as well. Well, more than that, hitting overnight, hitting a shopping center in Kermanchuk, which has uh, had a thousand people yeah. reportedly inside it. We know at least 10 of them are dead. So that is another uh, step up in the escalation. And, and NATO have announced as well now they're going to increase the size of their response force. NATO, of course, meeting from today, they're increasing their rapid reaction team. So this is, uh, you know, people who can respond to emergencies from 40,000 soldiers to 300,000, an eightfold That's a big increase. jump. It's, it's so, an, it, it's a huge yes. jump. So that this shows this war is bedding in. Yes. I'm not seeing much market response to this, but I, I guess we knew it was going in this direction. But it does seem like, you know, there's been a bit of escalation this week. It is a bit of an escalation. And, and, and to us, this is sort of a reminder in terms of why we still remain very cautious about the outlook of Europe is that, you know, the more pressure is put on, the more sanctions we put into into Putin, um, we're probably going to see what we're seeing now, you know, an escalation from, from his side. Um, whilst at the same time, we must not forget that, you know, a lot of gas still, you know, Europe still depends way, way too much by, uh, in terms of gas supply from, from Russia. And then we, and more than likely, we're going to have to, to see news about, you know, some issues with the pipe and, 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 and no gas going to Europe as well. Mm. So um, it plays to, again, this uncertain environment um, uh, and a choppy market for at least a couple of months. Right. And we hear time and time again, don't we? We've talked about it a lot on the podcast that the inflation rate will come down because the speed of the increase will start to decrease. So that's good. But then, you know, the problem still persists. If it's driven by scarcity, for example, this scarcity in energy supplies, even though the rate of increase might be falling, that scarcity still exists. So it's still a problem. Yeah. And, and that plays to, to the uncertainty, right? And then, uh, if anything, then there's an extension to the argument it's that, you know, there, there will be countries like Australia that will have to pay up for the energy, but there's a high degree of certainty that we will get access to that energy, although, you know, there's been some issues in the eastern states. Um, but in the likes of those that are importing that energy, uh, like Europe, Japan, for instance, then it's, it's not about whether you're going to have to pay up for it. It's, it's whether you're going to have access to it. Um, um, and that, of course, uh, puts a restraint into your potential output growth. Um, and, and that's why we, we still think that. Uh, we need to be cautious about getting too optimistic in, in, in Europe in particular. Yeah, and uh, Putin, by the way, negotiating with Bolsonaro in Brazil now. So there's another world food bowl that could be impacted if we want to impose sanctions on anyone's working with Russia. Ho-hum. But uh, oil up today, um, I guess that is supply constraints, but iron ore also up. So does that, that sort of implies that, that demand is increasing. We normally see iron ore up 
when we say, ah, oh, look, you know, things are picking up in China. So, I mean, they're both rising for different reasons. They are rising for different reasons. Uh, the, the story from oil is, again, in the background, we're still trying to understand what this cap uh, is going to mean uh, and whether, for one, it will be successful. Uh, there's a lot of sort of mixed news coming out saying, yes, um, a lot of negotiation needs to occur, particularly in terms of the agreement for those insurance. Um, and therefore, it's unlikely that a, a clear picture will emerge um, by tomorrow, which is the end of the, the three-day meeting. Um, but at the same time, we've had news coming from Libya and, and from Ecuador um, that there's been some problems in, in terms of uh, the production there and that there might uh, be some cut in production there. So that's supporting the price. Uh, and in terms of iron ore, again, like many other commodities, quite volatile of, uh, recently. Um, but what the news that, you know, uh, there, there'll be some ease and restrictions, particularly coming from Beijing, for instance, in terms of those schools, that the reopening idea is, is playing out. Whilst at the same time, we also had those um, profits and figures yesterday coming from uh, from China, which really it, it's sort of the, the interesting thing there is the industrial profits have been uh, resilient, um, and, you know, through all these lockdown periods that we had in, in, in recent months. Um, so that's encouraging and a place to the view that maybe things were not as bad uh, compared to, for instance, the, you know, Q1 in 2020. So um, it is encouraging in that sense, uh, but still, uh, coming from a low base and, and still that uncertainty of how quickly they can reopen given those micro lockdowns that are likely to stay in China until we, we have a vaccine or they have a vaccine, um, you know, to, to fully reopen. Well, you just get the lockdown in the factory, don't you? Just don't, don't go home. Keep working and just don't go home. That seems to be part, part of the answer. <laughs> Look, uh, are things not so bad in the US? Because US manufacturing, it seems, is doing well. Durable goods orders month on month. Uh, way above expectations. In fact, the highest monthly increase this year. Inventories increasing as well. So, I mean, that seems like good news, doesn't it? Because we've got production up and obviously it's exceeding demand if we're seeing inventories increasing. So that should, in theory, start to hold prices down, which is exactly obviously what the Fed wants to see. Well, it's what everyone wants to see. We want to constrain inflation. Yes. Uh, the only catch to all of this um, is that uh, the durable good orders are measured in nominal terms. Ah. Um, mm. So so that that's kind of the tricky bit because on, on average, when you look back, um, and uh, I was reading one of the, the economists that uh, censored stuff from, from the U.S., and he highlighted that on average, durable, durable good orders um, inflation over 2012 and 2019 has been 03 So it's almost like you look at the nominal number and you sort of assume, yeah, that's the real number. Uh, but, uh, you know, after the pandemic and, of course, in the last uh, couple of quarters, uh, the inflation and durable, go durable good orders is running at 6.3%. So... Uh, at the moment, the number is good, but actually in, in real terms, it's nowhere near as good as you think. Um, so, so that challenges that, that notion that uh, things are picking up there in terms of um, you know, right. increasing capital. But the, the inventory story is a good one, isn't it? And, and we'll get more of that because we get wholesale and retail inventories uh, from the US today as well. That's got yes. to be a good sign, hasn't it, when we're looking That's at That's got this, to be a uh, good sign. Know. But it's also like kind of, we got to remember where we were coming from. So the inventory, there mm. wasn't expectations of an inventory recovery. Um, so hopefully that shows up uh, later today yeah. or early tomorrow. Right. Also overnight, we had the Dallas Fed Manufacturing Index. That wasn't so good. That showed a big fall, minus 17.7 on top of a minus 7.3 in May. So big falls, and Texas is close to 10% of all the manufacturing output in the United States. Uh, but pending home sales, that was curious. They were up. Uh, a big fall was expected. So this is agreed contracts for sales yet to be completed. That's what pending home sales is. So maybe it's a bit of a last gasp of activity because all the other 
indicators we've been showing, of course, have uh, been showing big falls in the U.S. housing Yes, that, that was interesting. And, and I suppose people highlight that sometimes the it's a one-off and the data can be volatile. Yeah. So you sort of probably better trying to look at the trend rather than the monthly prints. But still, it's a positive number. Uh, to me, the, yeah. I, I think what is interesting is those, those regional ones. Um, you, you mentioned the Dallas being... Uh, disappointing, but we've got to remember that both the New York and the Philly Fed were also lower. Um, and yeah. then tonight we're going to get the Richmond one. So uh, it will be important because at the moment, all those regional ones are, are pointing to the idea to, you know, a significant downside risk to, to the ISM print uh, on Friday. So so that will be very important. And we also get the Conference Board's Consumer Confidence Report as well, which uh, I guess that's going to be interesting given that we saw such a reaction to the uh, Michigan Confidence Reading on Friday. Yeah, so the, the Consumer Board uh, Reading has always been um, – uh, Printing higher for one, and and being reluctant to follow the the University of Michigan lower, uh, but it has started to move lower now, and and in that and indeed expectations are for it to to to, to have a significant drop from, I think one hundred six to to one hundred. So uh, that will be important yeah. because. Uh, there's always been sort of that mismatch, and, and that mismatch is giving people confidence that it's, it's not as bad as you think. Um, but if the consumer board is also is showing weakness, uh, then it will sort of raise concern that maybe the story for the consumer is not as good as, as we expect. Now, uh, Fed speaker-wise, Mary Daly, Mary 75 points uh, in July daily, uh, is going to be talking to... <laughs> LinkedIn's chief economist. What would LinkedIn have a chief economist? I, I mean, it's marvellous that LinkedIn are employing economists, so that's uh, that's good to see. Uh, but we'll find it's that good out. good for all of us, yes. <laughs> <laughs> the more more jobs. Please employ an economist today. Uh, but the um, So, what, yeah, it's going to be interesting what she has to say because in amongst all of this uncertainty, you know, the expectation in the markets, the market read is that the Fed funds rate, the terminal rate, is coming down. It was 4% or more. It's now coming down to... Three and a half percent early next year, and that sort of that suggests, you know, that people aren't expecting inflation is going to be that bad, and the Fed isn't going to have to work as hard. And yet, we, you know, we've, we've been talking for the last ten minutes or so about that really not being the case. Well, yeah, that's uncertainty, right? And and I think that that's the issue yeah. that we we are not going to know whether the Fed has been successful in taming down inflation until probably closer to the end of the year. Uh, and in the meantime, mm-hmm. you're going to have all this sort of mismatch in terms of data prints. Uh, that is going to keep, I think, uh, markets volatile. Um, and also this notion that, you know, once you tame inflation, then, uh, you know, the market is pricing this idea of rate cuts um, uh, to, modi- to, to incentivize, if you like, the U.S. economy. But if these structural issues have not been resolved, uh, particularly in terms of the energy space and food, as you mentioned as well, um, then, you know, those shortages will still be there. Um, so um, we just need to be mindful about about that part of the story in the sense of how 2023 plays out um, because you can't reopen, you can't start of start pumping uh, you know activity super hard uh, when there's just not enough energy to supply for yeah, it. So um, that's still an uncertainty for next right, year. Right, NATO, uh, I've already mentioned they're meeting this week and it's, it's going to be interesting to see how Putin responds to that because he's not been quiet so far uh, and so perhaps we can expect more uh, uncertainty and volatility driven by that. Uh, also, the ECB Forum on Central Banking, uh, they've, they've had their slap-up dinner, uh, so it's on to day one of the full programme. A lot of it, uh, you know, there's a, a like there's a morning session globalization and labour markets in the post-pandemic economy, which Philip Lane from the ECB is chairing. But it's a couple of university professors, and then he's chairing another discussion on energy price volatility and energy sources in Europe. But again, 
couple of professors on that. Uh, really, we were, I don't think we'll get much in the way of views from central bankers until the next day, because uh, it's largely a- academics tomorrow. And th- th- tomorrow is the, today, I should say, and then tomorrow is when we get all the really meaty stuff on monetary policy with central bankers on panels. Although um, Christine Lagarde is doing an introductory speech right at the very beginning. She's got half an hour, and we have no idea what she's going to say. It might just be, you know, <laughs> welcome along. This is where the toilets are. Uh, if you need a cup of tea. Uh, and the exit doors the, are at the back. Exactly. Yeah. This is. I don't. She yeah, might say yeah. nothing at all. But it, I mean, it's worth looking out for. I guess it is. Uh, and she's speaking twice as well. So there's there's that sort of initial remarks, that welcoming remarks, and then um, she seems to be having. Well, she she's she's scheduled to speak again for another half an hour, uh, and presumably it's not going to be yet again. You know where the toilets are. So mm. so that could be interesting in, in terms of whether. You know, she sets the tone in terms of what to, to expect. Um, but, yeah, the, as you mentioned, the, my sense is that. And actually that tomorrow will be probably a little bit more interesting in terms yeah. of um, uh, events. I think so. All right, we'll leave it there for now. Uh, good to talk again, Rodrigo. Catch you very soon. Thanks. Thanks, Phil. Cheers. There we are. Bit of a mixed bag, wasn't it? But that's Tuesday morning on the Morning Call. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. I'm back again tomorrow morning. As always, I'll uh, see you tomorrow morning. Have a great day.